0: Welcome back to Christianity 101. We're into the final lesson, lesson number 14, and this is entitled The Rapture, uh, also known as The Catching Away of the Saints. This may be one of my favorite subjects in the Bible. I don't really know why. Maybe the, the only paper I had to write in Bible school was on this subject, and I belly ached and complained to the Lord about it, It was supposed to be a five-page paper. I thought, there's no way in the world I can write five pages on this. It's going to be a page or half a page. Turned out being five pages, very easy. Turned it in a whole semester late. Should have had an A++, got a B on it because it was a whole semester late. So I've studied it a lot, and it's probably one of my favorite subjects to go back and study again. It is a little bit of a controversial subject. If I say the term pre-tribulation rapture, And if you understand what that means, then you're probably a little educated on this doctrine. But we as a church, me in particular as the pastor, I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist. I believe in a rapture, and I believe it happens before the tribulation. We're going to look at some of that and what that means. But also in this lesson, we're going to cover four W's, or what I call the four W's of the rapture. The what. What is the rapture? Why. Why the rapture? When. When. When does this happen and who? Who gets to go? Uh, We have a lot more teaching on this subject in our revelation in our eschatological curriculum that's available on podschool.org. Eschatology, it covers all things in times and then we have a teaching on the revelation which only covers the book of Revelation. Eschatology has a little bit of overlap into the revelation but uh, Revelation covers strictly the Revelation. But anyway, there's more in there on the rapture. I think I have two or three lessons alone on the rapture, so it's a lot more detailed than what we can give here. But this is Christianity 101. Some of this is introductory. Some of this is designed to help bring new members up to speed with where we stand doctrinally. So let's get into it. Number one or point one, the first W, what? Well, let's look at that. The rapture is the catching away of of the saints of God by the Lord Jesus to be with him in the air. That's what it is. When we talk about the rapture, we talk about the catching away or the being caught up together with the Lord. And this is the Lord Jesus coming back for his body, the body of Christ. Now, this is not the first advent. These are theological terms that you'll hear in Christendom. Advent, or we talk about the advent season, the advent, advent means the appearing. The advent is, is the birth of the Christ child. That's the first advent, the first time he came and revealed himself to humanity. The second advent is when the Lord comes back and touches down on the Mount of Olives. That's at the end of the tribulation. It's called the second advent because he reveals himself to all of mankind again. The rapture is not an advent because the Lord does not appear to mankind, the Lord comes and he catches us up to be with him so he doesn't touch down on planet earth yet so this is not an advent this is the rapture in theology we have two advents the first advent which was the birth of the christ child the birth of jesus and the second advent when he comes back as a warring king Uh, when you talk about eschatology you talk about the lion and the lamb when he was born as a christ child as a baby he was the lamb because he was slaughtered at the end of his life When he comes back, he's going to be the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. So they're two totally different ends of the spectrum. When he came into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he came in riding on a foal, the colt of an ass. That means a baby donkey. When he comes back in the second advent, he's coming on a white war horse. Baby donkey, white war horse. Baby donkey, white war horse. Very opposite ends of the spectrum. The rapture is neither the first advent nor the second advent, but it is a, a I don't want to say a midpoint, but a, pre, a pre-event, an event right before, seven years technically before the second advent. So let's look at our scripture for this. Everything we, we teach, everything I teach, I endeavor to give as much Bible for it as possible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now now notice this is interesting. It says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now I don't, there's some folks that don't believe in a rapture. They don't believe in a catching up. But this this describes an event very particular. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That means you died and you were born again. You died and you were were baptized into the body of Christ. You were dead in Christ. You'll be resurrected first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. I've underlined caught, caught up together because that's the foundation of this doctrine. Caught up together. With them in the clouds. There are some that don't believe in a rapture. They believe the Lord Jesus will come back and and then we'll rule and reign with him on the earth without any catching up into the air. And yet this passage, among several others, very clearly says that we're going to be caught up, the body of Christ, those that are in Christ. Paul wrote this two thousand years ago. He wrote it in future tense. So, it hasn't happened in Paul's day. Nobody in church history has recorded anything like this happening. So, that lends us to believe, or leads us to believe, this hasn't happened yet. And yet, we have a very clearly described event that there is coming a day when the Christians that are alive and remain faithful to him shall be caught up together with them, who's the them, them that died in Christ first, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. All right, that's an event. That's a very clearly described event. It's not here. It's also in 1 Corinthians 15. We got to explain this. Our underlying word here is caught up together. Now, there's often, I've witnessed to folks who were of a different denominational persuasion. They said, we, we bet you believe in that rapture thing. I said, I sure do. And they said, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible, right? And I should have said, well, the word Trinity's not. And neither is the word Bible. And yet we still understand both of those as being biblical. We need to know the word rapture is not used in the Bible. And that's okay, because neither is the word Trinity, but it's a biblical doctrine. Neither is the word Bible, but we have a Bible. However, the idea is very much biblical. So the caught up together is the Greek word harpezo. And harpezo means to catch, to snatch, to lead something away. So, when you harpezo something, you come and you snatch it. You snatch it out of somebody's hand. Almost, if you remember the old Kung Fu TV show, some of you may be way too young to remember it. David Carradine played uh, the Kung Fu Master. It was kind of a Kung Fu Wild West thing. And in his training, the the Sifu, which is Chinese for master, the Sifu would say, Snatch the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. And his job was to try to grab it as quickly as he could. That's to snatch. That's the Greek word harpezo. It means to catch to catch something away, or to lead something away. And all these words describe the rapture. This is the word which says that we are alive and remain, shall be harpezoed with them in the clouds. So what if we're the pebble and the Lord, and, and the Lord is snatching us out of the earth? The word harpezo is the Greek word, the catching away. That's why we call this lesson, a.k.a. the catching away of the saints. In the Vulgate Bible, that's the Latin version of the Bible that was translated, I believe, by Jerome. He's known historically as Jerome. Uh, He was a monk. He translated the Bible in the 4th century. He lived in northern Egypt. The Latin word used for the Greek harpezo is raptus or rapier. And raptus or rapier, catching away or to be caught up, is where we get our word rapture. So when we talk about the rapture, we're quoting Latin, raptus, raptir, or rapier. It's also where we get our English word enraptured. And when you talk about two lovers in love, one of the terms that is used among the poets and those with a larger vocabulary, they'll say they were just enraptured with one another. And so what are we saying? They were caught up with one another. So you see the etymology of the word here this will be a very noisy event so it's hard to imagine it's happened and it's gone unnoticed because again 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 16 and 17 Paul describes an event. He's prophesying. He's prophesying an end-time event, something that didn't happen in his day and something that's described as being very noisy and yet there's no record of anybody in history ever having experienced it or seen it. But he very clearly says the dead in Christ, which means the body of Christ worldwide, they're resurrected first. Then everybody which is alive and remains shall be caught up to be with the Lord forever also. So if this has already happened in time past, What's, what's that mean for us? This will be a very noisy event. First Thessalonians 4:16 says, "The Lord will descend with the shout." Well, I think we're going to hear that. If you know His voice, then you'll know His shout. Maybe if you don't know His voice, maybe if it's a sinner, maybe all they hear is a noise. But i got to believe if Jesus said, "My sheep know my voice," we're going to know His shout, too, because a, vo- a shout is nothing but an extension of a voice. The Bible says an archangel will also give voice. Did you see that? The voice of the archangel. So we got the shout of the Lord, the voice of the archangel, and 1 Thessalonians also says, and the trumpet of God. I wonder if God can blast a trumpet pretty loud. I think he can. This also very much mirrors Exodus chapter 19, when the children of Israel had come through the Red Sea and wandered for about a week and a half and came to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, And the Lord said, on the third day, my trumpet will sound. I will come down and the people will come up to meet with me. And the Bible says on the third day, the Lord began, uh, the, the trumpet of the Lord sounded and it grew louder and louder and the Lord descended upon that mountain in a cloud and the people were terrified, too scared, in fact, to go up. But they heard the trumpet, which the Bible also describes as the voice of God. And then it says eventually, because they rejected that voice, the voice turned into a noise. Jesus will not actually touch down on planet Earth, but he will uh, actually stop in the clouds and receive us to himself. We will be caught up, and quote, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we've got to take note of that. We meet him in the air. He does not come down to planet Earth. We meet him in the air. He does not come down to planet Earth for another seven years at this point till he touches down in the second advent on the mount of olives and he splits the mount of olives in half coincidentally actually not the mount of olives is where he was praying in in the garden of gethsemane Uh, that's where he's touching back down it's opposite jerusalem the city and the temple mount at this time natural bodies will be changed into glorified bodies that's part of the promise 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. We'll look at that here in a second. The dead in Christ will go first. Their body, their corrupted body, will put on incorruption. Now, I know it, technically even the saints that have been dead hundreds if not thousands of years, at this point, their body is nothing. Their body ceases to exist. It's worm food. It's worm dirt. It's, it's been assimilated by worms reprocessed into dirt roots have taken it up the roots have made olives out of it the roots have made apples out of it those have in turn been eaten so I get the fact that that people that have been dead hundreds of years their body their body's been assimilated and redeposited all over God's green earth much less the Christians that were killed in war or house fires or incinerated whatever horrific death they experienced or their bodies did but yet God will still give them a new body a glorified body and there's something something interesting about they will be resurrected from wherever their body was laid to rest or wherever their life the life was was taken from them it seems to me that's where their body will be resurrected from because we know they'll come out of the tombs but that's where they were laid to rest though they might even be nothing but dust in there and yet somehow the Lord because he's God he gathers all the atoms together and creates in them a brand new glorified body their decayed bodies will be transformed into glorified bodies. Then our living bodies will be transformed as well. So the dead in Christ will go first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. And, and we don't know whether it's as we are here or as we go, but somewhere between here and there, our bodies are transformed into glorified bodies like the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection. Corrupted flesh and blood cannot go to heaven. This will all happen in a moment of time. That word moment is the Greek word atomos, where we get the word atom. So think about an atom of time. It's not even a split second. It's an atom of time. Just a That's how quickly it'll be. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, the word mystery means an unspoken thing. The word mystery is actually a direct cognate from the Greek word mysterion. Mysterion means an unspoken thing. So Paul says, I show you a mystery, something that heretofore has remained unspoken, though it's always been the plan and the will of God. Now, what's ironic is Paul calls it a mystery, and yet he's giving voice to it. We know Paul was an apostle anointed to bring forth doctrine that had been hidden from God's people for thousands of years. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality it says that we shall not all sleep it means we shall not all die or as the old timers call it take the dirt nap we shall not all die but we shall all we we that serve the lord jesus we shall all be changed Now, if you're dead, you get changed first. If you're alive and remaining when the Lord returns, you get changed secondly. But we shall all be changed, all of us that serve the Lord Jesus. 1 Thessalonians says we have to be alive and remain faithful. Alive, it doesn't mean alive, alive. It says alive, so you're breathing, and remain. Remain what? Remain faithful to Jesus. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, that's the same thing that says we'll we'll be caught up there. In this moment in the twinkling of an eye, the atom of time, uh, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and we'll be changed. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And this, honestly, a, a big emphasis of this passage is talking about the glorification of the body. Because the dead, which is the body, shall be raised incorruptible. And then we shall be changed, for corruptible must put on incorruption. That's the body. And mortal, that's the body, must put on immortality. That's an immortal body, a glorified body. At this point, if you're dead in, in this passage, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you're, your spirit man is seated in heavenly places. You're there, even as Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. There is a doctrine out there called spirit sleep, or or, or I, think, I think it's called spirit sleep. And what they believe, we don't believe this doctrine, but it's out there, so I'll mention it to you. There, because of a few nuanced verses that aren't taken into context with all the other scripture on the same topic, some Christians teach that when you die, you sleep into an unconscious sleep. You slip into it and you're asleep being neither awake nor dead, but you're in a spirit slumber until the Lord raptures you or to the Lord resurrects you. That that doesn't jive with the rest of scripture that says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Any of these verses that talk about dying and being asleep is a reference to the body because God made us a three-part being and the body is just as much the will of God as the Spirit is. Jesus Christ became sin, and his body was laid in the grave, but his body was resurrected, a, a glorious body, and now we're going to be resurrected like he was with the glorious body as well. Remember he said, I am the resurrection and the life? And, and Jesus told him about the Lazarus. He'll be raised up, and Mary said, I know he'll be raised up again in the last day. He was, Jesus was apparently teaching this doctrine that in the last day, all the dead will be raised up, and Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection." So there was this established doctrine of resurrection and a resurrection of the dead even in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees held to it. The Sadducees did not. They didn't believe in a resurrection. So this doctrine of the rapture isn't just New Testament. It isn't just Pauline in doctrine. The Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I will raise people up from the dead and then I'll receive them to myself. This is not the second coming of the Lord. We already covered that, the advent. The rapture and the second coming of the Lord referenced there in Jude and Revelation, are two different events, and they are different and unique from the day of the Lord, which is covered in 2 Peter 3.10 and Revelation 20.11. So that covers the the what. That's the rapture, the what. What about the why? The why? why? Why does this even happen? What's the point of this? This is Jesus taking his church out of the earth in a supernatural and spectacular way in order to accomplish his will and his plan so why does this happen well number 1 it's the will of God but he's taking us out of his out of the way to accomplish his will and his plan in the last days now one of the things we don't cover in this lesson because it gets a little bit deeper the tribulation which is the 7 year period is also called Jacob's trouble And it is seven years appointed unto Israel for divine judgment. And if you can understand, and again, this is a little bit beyond the scope of this this lesson, that there are 49 weeks appointed unto Israel, and 49 weeks being 49 measures of time, excuse me, 70 weeks, not 49, 70 weeks, 69 of them came to pass, and the Messiah was cut off in the 69th week according to the prophecy of Daniel. And when Jesus Christ was cut off or crucified, he instituted the church. And so the church age was inserted there in between the 69th week of Daniel's time and the 70th week. So the 70th week of prophesied time that the Lord, through the angel Gabriel, gave to Daniel in the book of Daniel, that 70th week has not happened yet. That week being seven measures of time or seven years. The tribulation is a seven-year period of time that the Bible also calls Jacob trouble when, when tribulation is poured out, wrath, judgment is poured out on Israel as a nation to bring them back to God. And that is when Israel will, will experience its revival and its, its restoration back into the fold of God. It has not received that yet, though today any whosoever will can be born again. But they rejected Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, and one by one, all the apostles shook their feet off, and they all said the same thing. Fine, we go unto the Gentiles now, and they'll receive this word. Jesus is taking the church out of the way because our time is over, and the 70th week of Daniel's time must be inserted. So why is this happening is to take the church out of the way. Our time is done. Our dispensation is done. The period of grace is done. And if we're reinserting Jewish time, then we're going back under the law. During those seven years of time, the, the temple sacrifices will be reinstituted. The Ark of the Covenant will be reinstituted. The priesthood will be reinstituted. And God will begin to deal with the world through Israel again, but the Israelites will begin to receive their Messiah. The Israelites will become the preachers of the day. The 144,000 evangelists that the Revelation speaks of are all Jews who are preaching. One, one eschatological expert said, imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls going throughout the earth. So why? Why is this happening? Well, number one, raptures are biblical occurrences. It is a way in which God has chosen to remove some of his servants... In times past, including Enoch, he's the first rapture. Elijah was raptured. Jesus was raptured. The two um, witnesses in the revelation will be raptured. The church will be raptured. Then the tribulation saints will be raptured. So, this is a very biblical, very, very biblical experience. It's not like the rapture of the church is the first time God has ever done anything like this. Though there was a time when God did something for the first time. And before that, nobody had ever seen it, and God still did it. Number two, the rapture will change corruptible bodies into incorruptible bodies. That seems to be the only way to change mortal into immortality, is through a rapture. A mortal body cannot be immortalized until it's been raptured. Number three, the rapture will preserve the church from the great tribulation. We might also add Second uh, Thessalonians there excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5, that God has not appointed us unto wrath. In fact, let me read that verse really quick. There's a lot of scripture here for you to look at on your own. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, for God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the reasons a rapture takes place is to preserve the church from the wrath to come. And when you study the, the revelation, you see that there are seven judgments, bold judgments and seven vile judgments. And every one of those judgments is opened up in heaven and poured out upon the earth. This verse says the church is not appointed unto wrath. And yet there, it's called the wrath of God being poured out on the earth for all the unbelievers, the naysayers, God's enemies. We're not God's enemies. So we are caught up in time for the Jewish age to kick off again. And we get to spend seven years in heaven with what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And again, there's a lot more teaching we have on this. We can't cover it all in this one little session. When does this happen? Well, that's the one we're a little foggy on. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour, only the Father. So that and verses like it, verses like this, they build the doctrine called eminence. Any good Christian has to hold to the doctrine of eminence. The doctrine of eminence says the Lord's return is imminent. The New Testament is written with an imminent flavor. The early church lived and evangelized, and even their writings had this flavor that they believed in the imminence of Christ's return. Now what eminence means, not preeminence or your eminency, that's, a diff- that's with a different letter. Imminence means it's going to happen and it could happen at any moment. We have this doctrine. It's, it's one of the most established New Testament doctrines that's never taught. There is this doctrine of imminence that the Lord is going to return. That's a given. He said so over and over and over again. But not only is he going to return, it could happen at any moment scriptures like this help build that doctrine so that forces us or it should motivate us to live as though the Lord could come back at any moment because he really could no man knows the day nor the hour but Jesus did give us a clue to the when and so does the book of James so we kind of have some scriptures that help us focus in and dial in on this so let's read those Matthew 24 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come then shall the end come now this scripture is written truthfully near the end of the uh, what's going to take place near the end of the tribulation but we know that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel we also know though that we won't reach everybody before the rapture because during the tribulation the seven years after we're gone The 144,000 Jews evangelize. Then in in Revelation 14, uh, the Lord gives the gospel to angels for the very first time ever. And the angels begin to preach the gospel. We see the end culminating as the gospel is going further and further and further and further and further. And right now the gospel is in every nation of the earth. The gospel is being translated into every language imaginable. There's still a few thousand that are sub-dialects, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Bible translations out there. And the gospel has gone further now than it's ever been. There's not a nation in the world that has not received the touch of the gospel. It doesn't mean they have an established church there yet, but the gospel has gone everywhere. That couldn't be said a hundred years ago. But we see we're getting closer because the gospel is everywhere and everywhere and everywhere. And people are hearing it. They're broadcasting it on radio. And now the Internet. And now podcasts. And, and now shortwave radio and satellite television. In countries where the gospel is illegal, they can't stop the airwaves. They can't stop the Internet. People are hacking these things. People are slipping the gospel in. So we know we're getting closer. James five seven says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, and to the coming of the Lord, behold, the husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. So another evidence, which is confirmation, is that the, the harvest is coming in. The gospel is going everywhere and we're pushing it. it it's like we're filling in all the little cracks now. And every church I know of just about, there might be one or two that don't, every church I know of is doing world missions somewhere. And anywhere I travel, I'm always meeting missionary teams, coming and going. It's hard to ever travel through Europe without seeing an American missionary team walk through. It's, it's honestly almost hard for me to get on an airplane going international without me running into a missionary team, especially in the summers. It's cool. This gospel is unstoppable. So when is this going to happen? Whew. Soon and very soon. We might add a few more scriptures here that says, um, after three days will he revive us. Excuse me. The Old Testament says, after two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up. Exodus 19 says, prepare yourself for early on the third day, I will call you up to be with me. That's the Lord talking about Israel at Mount Sinai. Then we know the Lord Jesus was raised up early on the third day, early Sunday morning. Well, if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, we're already early into the third day if we're going to follow this Bible pattern of being raised up on the third day. We're early. We're already early into this third day. But I also make the point that 100 years from now would still be early into the third millennium. 200 years from now would still be early into the third millennium. So we don't really know when it is, but the doctrine of eminence is more viable, more critical now than ever. You don't have time to live as half a Christian. You live with your eye on heaven, but you you conquer the earth today. Who? This is critical. This is also maybe a little controversial. Who gets to go? Firstly, we must understand that only born-again Christians can be raptured. Good works doesn't get you raptured. Buddhism won't get you raptured. Mohammedism won't get you raptured. Being a Mormon won't get you raptured. Going to church won't get you raptured. Only born again children of God because you have to be part of the body. The Bible also tells us only Christians, now here's what's going to be controversial. The Bible teaches us only Christians serving God and living for him will be caught up to meet Jesus in the rapture. And this is a very sobering thought. Now, personally, I used to hold to the doctrine that anybody and everybody was going, who was born again. But I, I've come to study the Bible a lot more since then. And it just, from number one, if we've got scriptures that clearly say what I'm about to tell you. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem just that Christians who can't obey the voice of God to go to church... They can't obey the voice of God to repent. They can't obey the voice of God to to tithe. They don't obey the voice of God to flee fornication. I mean, they basically are Christian in name only. It's hard to believe they're going to actually hear the voice of God when he says, come up hither. If they can't have faith today to obey the Lord in the little things, how will they be faithful in the great things? Now, one argument might be, well, they weren't ever born again in the first place. And maybe that's it. But then again, I've pastored a lot of folks who showed fruit that they were born again and then they backslid and did some very heinous things. And I have trouble believing that in their willful disobedience, their willful rebellion, should the the trumpet blast in the very act of their heinous rebellion, that they were gonna stop what they were doing to obey the rapture when they couldn't stop uh, stop the, the sin when the still small voice was trying to convict them. I just don't see it. Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in the little, you won't be faithful in the great. But let's look at these other verses. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear. Now, I've underlined that. For them that look for him. For them that look for him. Is every Christian looking for him? No. No. You now some Christians are just looking for themselves. Some Christians are looking for their next fix, their next high, their next uh, Facebook post or whatever the social media thing is of the day. Used to be MySpace, it doesn't exist anymore. Not much longer, Facebook won't exist either. Not every Christian is looking for him. Uh, even further, as we said in 1 Thessalonians, those that are alive and remain, not just alive, remain, remain faithful, remain steadfast unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation he will appear now remember what the angel said in acts chapter 1 uh you men of jerusalem uh, why stand you here in marvel for this jesus shall come again a second time in like manner so this reference here second time is not a reference to the second advent Because when he comes back in the second advent, they are not looking for him. They are looking to their antichrist. They're looking to their false prophet. They're looking to Satan. This second time is in a reference to what the angels said in Acts chapter 1, as the Lord was received into the glory cloud and ascended to the right hand of the Father. We must be sure we are living a life looking for his return. That is the doctrine of imminence. His imminent return sinful lives live as though he isn't coming if you're one of these deceived christians that says well i can repent tomorrow well i can repent tomorrow well i can repent tomorrow well there's always tomorrow i'll I'll, let me just get my fix let me just do this one last time and then i'll repent you don't qualify you're in dangerous territory now the lord will sort it out but i want you to be scared i want you to quit playing games with god i want you to quit being a half christian and I want you to be all sold out to him. You're going to sin and mess up, but don't you dare chase it and revel in it. You can't just keep saying, well, well it's always tomorrow. Oh, maybe tomorrow. Maybe to, I'll repent tomorrow. That's a dangerous mindset. Sinful lives live as though he isn't coming. And that really is what the Bible becomes a scoffer. Oh, he hasn't come yet. I got more time to enjoy this sin. That's dangerous. That's falling asleep at the wheel. That's the parable of the 10 virgins. Five of them were foolish because they had a lamp, but they didn't keep it oiled. They knew how to keep it oiled. They knew how to trim it. The Bible says they were virgins, which tells me that they were clean and they were looking forward to the bridegroom coming, but they were not prepared. There's another testimony. Not everybody's prepared when the bridegroom comes and half... Some have taught from that parable in Matthew 25, half of the body of Christ will not be raptured. I don't know if I teach that, but there is this pattern of 50 50. Dr. Barclay teaches it. He got it from Dr. Sumrall. They call it the 50 50 rule. That the parable of the ten virgins, half were wise, half were foolish, that's 50 50. Two thieves on the cross, one went to paradise, one went to hell, that's 50 50. Two lying in the bed, one is taken, one is left, that's 50 50. Two plowing in the field, one is taken, one is left, that's 50 50. There's some scary patterns throughout the parables and the gospel teachings of Jesus Christ that imply you want to make sure you're part of the 50 that's doing it and going. I think it's almost grace turned to lasciviousness lasciviousness to think that you can be born again once or say a prayer, maybe, is all you did once. Live like the devil smoke crack, fornicate, have abortions, watch porn, abuse your wife, abuse your children, cuss, lie, gamble, pornography, rob the tithe, embezzle money, vape. Just this live sensuous and think you're living like you look forward to his return. Let me also add this. There's not a single pastor I have talked to, not a single one that believed every member of his church was going in the rapture. I have never met a single pastor pastoring great churches who believed every member of his church was rapture-ready or going in the rapture if it should happen. And a handful, I won't say a handful of them, several of them said, I think it's less than half of my church. And these are my friends that are, have strong churches, spirit-filled churches, cast-out-devils kind of churches, word-of-faith, healing kind of churches. I don't know a single pastor that believes every member of their church is going... Now, some of them are Baptists and, and they'll, they'll still tell me, I don't think they're all saved. Even though they give altar call after altar call. He said, one man said, I don't think the whole, my entire church is saved. Not even some of my faithful ones I don't think are saved. That's why they don't believe everybody's going in the rapture. I hold to perhaps a more strict doctrine, or maybe it's loose. I don't know. It depends on how you want to view it. I believe you can be born again. And because you live for yourself, how are you ready to go? How, how have you disciplined yourself to hear your master's voice and obey the blast of the trumpet, that voice that says, come up hither. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. All right, let me back up. Holy lives live as though he will return today. You need to make sure you're living a holy life. That's a testimony that says, Lord, I believe that you could come today and I want to be ready. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 says, Then we which are alive, still breathing, and remain still faithful to Jesus. Wow, it kind of splits the hair there, doesn't it? We which are alive, and that's a Greek word for bios or biology, still breathing to have life within us, and remain still faithful to Jesus, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So what if you're alive and you're unfaithful? I pastor, as you know, I mean, you want to join this church or you're already a member here. I pastor this church and not everybody that comes here is faithful. Folks disappear for weeks. Don't tell me where they go. Folks fall into calamity and sin. Don't tell me what's going on. Uh, folks rob the tithe. Folks don't serve. Folks are hit and miss. You think they're faithful to Jesus? You're kidding. Even when I give the Sunday morning challenge two out of three Sundays, hey, I dare some of you Sunday morning only to come back Sunday night. See what it's like to be faithful to Jesus. And they still don't come back Sunday night. They're not faithful. They're faithful to themselves and comfortable Sunday morning Christianity. We must be sure we are not just alive when Jesus Christ returns, but we are also faithful to him while we are alive. He will return for those who remain faithful. So he will appear for those who look for him, and he will catch away those that are faithful to him. So really, it's simple to be rapture ready. You look for him, and you're faithful to him. You look for him, and you're faithful to him. I can't help but think about our U.S. military. Our U.S. military, we've, of course, been entangled in the Middle East for really on and off for 25 years, since the early 90s, since the first Kuwait-Iraq battle. But really since 2001, 2003 is when we went into Iraq. And at the time of this recording, that's 15 years. That's our longest military endeavor in U.S. history. 15 years in Iraq and Afghanistan simultaneously. And so our troops get deployed. And and typically it's men, it's husbands, it's fathers. And most of them are 18 to 25, 18 to 30, because then they start to, if they're not career, they've served their two years, four years, what have you. I don't know all the details. I'm not a military man. I'm loosely educated on some of it. So who stays at home on the military bases are the wives, the military wives, and the military families, the children. But I've known a lot of military people in my time, and we have veterans in our church. But one of the things I've heard from a lot of people is is that with, with rare exception, there's no such thing as fidelity on a military base, marital fidelity. Because when people ship out, spouses are left lonely, or left uh, incontinent in their sex drive, and and again you got to keep in mind these are 18 to 25 year olds. They got a paycheck, they have no authority on them except for when they're marching or in formation. So they have they can have wild nights, wild days, and so because of that there is a very high adultery rate on military bases. This is only exacerbated when soldiers, husbands, or even wives are away, they're deployed. And so now there's a separation. You can't be there with each other. And so really to find a married couple who has survived deployment by being faithful to each other, that really is a pattern of the church and Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone away for a long time. And while we're here, left on this military base where we're to occupy and do business till He come again, there's all sorts of temptations that want us to commit whoredoms with them and commit spiritual adultery. But a faithful wife, and I understand women deploy, but I'm talking general, military is mostly men. A faithful wife stays at home is faithful over what she was left in charge of. She looks forward to her husband's return at any time now and she stays faithful to him in her heart. She is not a faithful wife if she claims she's married but sleeps with all these other guys who are still on post or on base she wears her ring like she is a Sunday morning Christian. She wears a ring like she's married, but she's sleeping with all these other soldiers or all these other officers. And she doesn't anymore think about her husband who's deployed. She doesn't anymore think about her husband who's soon in coming. She's not faithful in her heart. She's not faithful with her body. She's not looking forward to her, his return. But she still claims she's married. When he returns, she's as good as divorced. And, and please don't miss... I don't I was, Please hear me. The the Bible forbids divorce, but the Lord warned Israel time and time again, I have written you a bill of divorcement. I will put you away. And he even warned that in the uh, the parables, excuse me, the teachings in the gospels. He said, There's a time coming when the door will close and I will say, I don't know you. I think you can see this powerful example here of why we must be faithful. We must be sure we are not just alive when Jesus returns, but we are also faithful to him while we are alive. He will return for those who remain faithful. If the soldier comes back off a deployment and his wife has slept around, he's going to know instantly she has no heart for him. And in that moment, they're not even really married. And he has every right to put her away. She'll she'll be a, a wife in word only, but not in commitment, not in heart, not in attitude. We got a lot of Christians that are Christian in word only, not in heart, not in attitude, not in faithfulness. Scoffers. Many people mock Christians for believing in the rapture. (laughs) I think it's pretty comical. They mock Christians for believing in God and the supernatural when they themselves seek after psychics, astrology, palm readers, and they believe in the paranormal, just not the biblical supernatural, and they believe in evolution. They believe that we evolved from monkeys that came from mud pudding, lunacy. But they mock us for believing in divine design and a creator. These people are what the Bible calls scoffers. 2 Peter 3, 4, and 9 says, Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing for any to suffer. He's not willing for any to perish. So that's why he keeps postponing this and this judgment. Because once the rapture comes, what follows is hell on earth poured out from heaven above upon all the wicked and ungodly. God is holding back his own wrath by what little bit of mercy he has remaining in the earth today. Fear not. Just keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, for he is coming quickly. Amen. Father, we thank you for these these lessons on Christianity 101. I pray that these students, these new members, these new believers have been blessed and that we've been able to fortify their spiritual walk through these critical teachings. Bless those that are joining our church. Bless those that are studying for their own edification. We thank you for your word being a light into our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. I appreciate you being great Bible students. Be blessed as you serve God.